Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast on a Thursday. Dan Lobby with Mary Kay Cabot and Ashley Bastock. And we are still talking about the Super Bowl. Uh, Mary Kay, you wrote a newsletter uh, for our Football Insider subscribers on Thursday morning. Um, all about lessons the Browns can learn from the Super Bowl. Now, if you want to get this newsletter, you got to go to cleveland.com slash Browns, click the blue banner at the top of the page and become a Football Insider subscriber. We, you get a newsletter every single day and we kind of split up writing it. So like I'll write Fridays, Ashley will write Saturdays. Um, so throughout the week, you get to hear us. You get to see some things that we write that nobody else sees. Um, so that's one of the, the perks of Football Insider. Now, I said nobody else gets to see it. Well, some folks are going to get to hear about it on this podcast what you wrote in your newsletter so mary Kay, um let's just kind of go through some of the things you pointed out what was the first lesson that you think the browns can learn from the chiefs super bowl victory the first thing uh that i wrote about was just attention to detail after that super bowl all we heard about was the fact that the 49ers players did not seem to know they admitted that they did not know that the playoff overtime rules were different than the regular season rules. And I mean, you know, we heard, you know, Kyle Juszczyk say it, we heard Fred Warner say it, a number of guys, they just did not know that the rules were different. And, you know, that matters when you are obviously trying to win a Super Bowl. Those details are so vitally important. I don't know why uh, Kyle Shanahan would not have talked to his players about that, But conversely, the Kansas City Chiefs players went on and on and on about how much that was drilled into their heads. And they knew even when they came when they came back from the coin toss and Fred Warner uh, had the 49ers, they won the coin toss, took the ball first. I mean, all those guys were like, hey, I mean, you could see Travis Kelsey on the sideline saying, you you want it? You got it first. We're happy about that. Patrick Mahomes was saying the same thing, uh, you know, and even beforehand, you saw him making sure that he knew exactly what he was supposed to say and do. And I don't understand quite exactly why uh, it didn't happen that way for the 49ers, but I think it illustrates the importance of that attention to detail. And I know Kevin is very, very detailed in situations like that. And I remember that Bill Belichick used to be so detail oriented in situations and, and Andy Reid is one of the best. He is just one of the best in the NFL at that sort of thing, coaching it, teaching it, drilling it. And I just think as the Browns move forward, uh, you never want to have a situation like that where they don't understand why something happened in a given situation. Yeah, I, I was thinking this today, like Andy Reid, you don't you don't always hear about that side of him. And some of it is because early in his career um, and even kind of early in his time at Kansas city, he had a lot of issues with clock management and things like that, but he's, he's grown in that area too. And like, but, but I just wonder like how people would talk about Andy Reid, who they already think is a brilliant offensive mind, how they would talk about him if you were like 160 pounds and had a side part. Like, I feel like, I feel like people look at Andy Reid and they see this big, goofy guy and it's like, you know, offensive genius, all that stuff. But like, I don't know if he gets the credit he deserves for just the non-offensive stuff and just always having his team prepared. And it's not just it's not just being ready. Right. And like talking to your analytics people and having that information yourself. It's making sure your players have that information and making sure your players understand, because I, I know I always go back to this, but the Nick Chubb Jets game thing. We still don't know for sure if, like, Kevin Stefanski wanted Nick Chubb to not score there and if there was maybe just a breakdown in communication. I still haven't haven't ruled that completely out. 
but you have to communicate to your players. You have to drill it into your players' heads so that when they're in these intense moments where they have to make split-second decisions, they make the right decision almost every time because you've been over, been through it over and over and over again, and your players know the overtime rules, and your players know when the clock hits zero in that first overtime in the Super Bowl, it doesn't matter, so we don't need to rush. We're okay. Um, we're going to get the ball if they score a touchdown. We're going to go for two if we score all of that stuff. And Andy Reid is just so good at having his team prepared. I, I, like I said, Ashley, I just don't think he gets that sort of credit for a, a lot of different reasons. But I, th- I think it's a, I think it's time to start giving him giving him the credit for the, being that type of coach. Yeah, I mean, I just keep thinking about you know they released that video from the overtime coin toss, and when Fred Warner says we want the ball. You see Patrick Mahomes' eyes get so wide, like he's hearing things. The ref even said, you want the ball? Like, he's making sure that he heard Fred Warner correctly. Now, obviously, he probably would have done that no matter what Fred Warner had said for San Francisco. But, yeah, it's not just the fact, like, not only did they have this information. Like Mary Kay said, these guys were sick of hearing about it. And I do think, like, that sort of thing, like... And you're maybe part of what you're alluding to, Dan. Like, I think nowadays in the NFL, when head coaching jobs open, what do most teams do? They go after the young 30 or 40-something analytics-minded offensive guy. Like, you know, Mike McDaniel's a great example. Like, how we talk about Mike McDaniel versus how people talk about Andy Reid is very different. And obviously, there's very different track records there with them as coaches and team and their respective teams. But I do think, yes, like that preparedness is something that only comes with like that veteran kind of experience. He's seen so much that he has probably learned a lot of this through trial and error and through making mistakes earlier in his career. And like you said, maybe some of that clock management stuff that he got criticized for earlier in his career. You don't see those same problems now. So I think he's a prime example of learning from that kind of stuff and becoming a better coach along the way. And I do think, Mary Kane, you you touched on this a little when you were laying this out. I do think Kevin is that type of coach too. I think Kevin is very detail oriented. And um, there were a couple times this year where I asked Bubba Ventrone like about some clock management things and about like, how does Kevin, does Kevin go over that stuff with you guys? Do they go through, Hey, this happened, right? That teaching tape stuff. I mean, I think every team in the league does the teaching tape thing. It's, it's not all that unique, but like how kind of, how is Kevin in that regard? And it just really feels like Kevin is a, Kevin is very detail oriented and he wants his coaches and his players to, you know, be knowledgeable about all of this stuff too. So I, I think this is a, this is a good thing for the Browns um, because I think Kevin is that type of coach and that type of person. Yes. And in addition to that, he is, he is that in addition to that, um, there are other coaches are that way. We know Jim Schwartz is that way. We know Bubba's that way. Uh, I'm sure Ken Dorsey is going to be that way. But the other thing that they do in this regard is they're, they're very diligent about hiring smart players. They have really smart players uh, that are going to make good decisions uh, in the heat of the moment. And it's not always easy. I mean, like, as you mentioned, with the Nick Chubb situation, if you're not coached up to do that, would you be necessarily thinking about that? I mean, you know, probably probably not, I, I wouldn't think. Um, but there are so many situations that come up in a game where you have to be able to think so very quickly on your feet. You know, when the, uh, when the ball ricochets off your teammate's uh, foot on a on a punt, right? Like, do you have to, you have got, you've got to go try to recover it at that moment. Uh, so there are so many situations 
that come up like that. And I do think that, that Kevin is good in that regard. But I think this is a cautionary tale. I think uh, this will cause teams to even further drill into the weeds and the details of the rules and what you need to be doing and how you need to be doing it. And, um, and I, you know, I think that you'll see teams, you really be careful about making sure that their players are educated on just the, the finer points of clock management and end of game situations. And and this one's tough because, right, it's not like that all season. The rules are different from the regular season to the mm-hmm. playoffs. And that's just another wrinkle in all of this. So players get used to one thing and then it becomes another thing. But it still doesn't matter. You still have to go over. You have plenty of time for as busy as these these guys like to tell us they are. You have plenty of time to take however many minutes out of a meeting or out of somebody's day to explain, hey, we're in the playoffs now. These are the overtime rules. And then mm-hmm. we're going to do it again tomorrow. And then like you have plenty of time to do that stuff. So uh, there's there's really no excuses there. All right. What was the second thing you kind of took away from that, Mary Kay, that the Browns can learn from? The second thing was uh, think of how innovative Andy Reid is on the goal line. Two Super Bowls in a row now, we have seen – Andy Reid use what what we can call the you know the corn dog shuttle where you fake a jet sweep and then you cut back outside and you have completely gotten the defensive back um, you know off your you know off your tail there. So um, they scored two touchdowns against the Eagles that way last year. Sky Moore had one of them and Kadarius Tony had another one. And I couldn't even believe last year that they did it twice back to back in the fourth quarter, but they did. And then they dusted it off and used it again. And so there's that. And then we've talked about this before, that Andy Reid also used uh, the play from the 1948 Rose Bowl, where uh, the four offensive players in the backfield all spun around and did an actual 360. And, um, and then they were able to convert a fourth down on that, went on to score a touchdown. They were on the goal line. Um, so they went on to score a touchdown after that. And that was also in the Super Bowl. So my point here is that you must be innovative. You must be showing these defensive coordinators something that they haven't seen before. And now that they have a whole new offensive staff with Ken Dorsey coming on board and with Tommy Reese coming in from Alabama and guys coming in from all over the place, you know, put your heads together and come up with some things that nobody has seen before. And don't even just borrow a page from Andy Reid or someone else, but devise your own new, innovative, you know, nobody has tried this before ever because it's nuts type of plays, right? They need to do that. Um, You know, the margins, as we have mentioned before, are so razor thin in the NFL. You've got to be on the cutting edge of offensive schemes, offensive play calling, defensive too, but for, for purposes of this discussion, uh, you know, let's see what these guys have. He, Kevin Stefanski just had carte blanche to assemble his own offensive staff from scratch. And he just put this group together. So now, you know, let's see what you got. This should be the best offensive staff in the NFL. I mean, it's the newest one pretty much. I mean, let, you know, it's time for these guys uh, to show their, you know, what their offensive chops are all about. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to hear one of the post Super Bowl things I love is when we get these coaches will actually open up and tell us like, oh, yeah, that's what this play was. Or we've been sitting on this since OTAs 
and we we've, we've been waiting to un, un, unravel this. And one of the things too, like you know, when we talk about individual play calls throughout the season, so much of it can be like we're just going to put this on tape and we're going to show it to you. And then when you get used to this five weeks later, we're going to use it against somebody else, except it's going to look completely different, right? It's all just misdirection and, and trying to trick teams. So um, it, I'm always fascinated by how these offense, where they find things, how they deploy things, how long they sit on things. I'm sure there's trick plays that uh, coaches have had that they haven't ever gotten to use. Um, it's, it's fascinating the way that these offensive minds put together these game plans. And, and the thing about Patrick Mahomes is it's not just that he's this super athlete now with this huge arm and he can do anything. He's so smart. And I think that's a big part of it too, Ashley, is when you have a quarterback who has been in the system and knows what he's doing and knows what he's seeing and has played the game for a while, he's got like this crazy level of athleticism, but now he's got like that. He's starting to get that Peyton Manning type of brain or that Tom Brady type of brain on top of it where he's seeing things before they even happen. And that's what makes this team so tough. Yeah, it's what makes it so hard to defend against him. And, you know, I think ideally we've we've talked about this, right? That's where you hope a guy like Deshaun Watson ultimately ends up is that level. And we know Deshaun is really quick with his processing and things like that. But I agree. I mean, Patrick's on his own level with that stuff right now. And it's something that I think can only come from that Super Bowl experience that he has. And it's, you know, a huge part of what allows Andy Reid and that staff to get together, put their thinking caps on and find these really unique ideas because they have a guy that they know can execute them. But yeah, I mean, I think ultimately too, with the Browns, this just goes back to why would you, you know, kind of have an overhaul like this? And I do think in, you know, your, what is it going to be your five of Kevin Stefanski's staff, like running it back again. Um, I don't blame them for wanting to try something new at this point. Cause the reality is in his tenure, they made the playoffs twice. They've won one playoff game. Your goals are much higher now. So getting some new fresh ideas in there, you just don't want this stuff to get stale. And I think that's really key. And, you know, you have to have the quarterback though, on top of it that can produce in those unique situations. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, not to just have this be all about Patrick again, Mary Kay, but that's a big part of it. You have to have a quarterback that can do this stuff. If it's P.J. Walker or Dorian Thompson Robinson or, you know, whoever else, some other backup running this stuff, it's just going to be different. You have to have a quarterback that can execute this stuff and sort of be an extension of you as a coach as well in the huddle. Yes, and you know what? I do really believe that Deshaun Watson has that super high football acumen that he can handle that kind of stuff. Uh, There's no doubt in my mind that he has that. But what I think uh, in the case of Deshaun that the Browns are going to have to be cognizant of and Deshaun's going to have to be cognizant of is the fact that now he has only played six games in 2023, six games in 2022, and he hasn't had a consistent season since 2020 where he went out there and he started a full season okay we're getting pretty far away from 2020 right I mean now we're going to be five seasons removed from 2020 or four however you want to count it up but you know it's been a while and so therefore um, you know he's not going to be in mid-season form in the first quarter of the season I mean he's not even going to be practicing or throwing the football, you know, probably until sometime in April and, um, or at least, you know, to any degree. 
And so, you know, I just, I don't, I, it might take him a while to get back in the zone. Patrick's in the zone. I mean, Patrick has just built and built and built from one season to the next. And remember that Patrick and Deshaun are from the same draft class. So, you know, by rights, by now, the game should have slowed that down that much for Deshaun. And there shouldn't be anything that he hasn't seen from a defense. Patrick has seen it all. I mean, think of think of how, how much Patrick has learned from 20, you know, in 2021, 2022, and 2023. Three full seasons of seeing defense, everybody giving him their best shot. Defensive coordinators trying to figure out how the hell to stop him, right? That's three more full years of learning the game, processing the game, and having the game slow down for you. By the time Tom Brady got to this point in his career, that was one of the things that made him so amazing, is the fact that he just saw it so clearly. And I think that's the thing where Deshaun's going to have some catching up to do. Deshaun's going to have to make up for some lost time of not having to deal with the best defensive minds in the NFL. And the game has changed over those three years as well. Right. I mean, defensive coordinators are playing these dual threat quarterbacks far differently than they did in 2020 because they've had time to figure it out, to game plan for it. So Deshaun is going to be facing some things in 2024 on a consistent basis that he didn't have to in 2020. And again, Patrick has had all of those years to learn those schemes and to learn those defenses and to learn the the new concepts uh, that these guys, in some cases, are bringing up from the college game. Uh, so, you know, I think that's the area where they're going to have to make sure that and they're going to have to do the best that they can to, to catch him back up and get him up to speed. And he's going to have to obviously he does this as it is, but study as much film as possible and really understand. But he's got some ground to make up from his sort of lost three seasons. The last thing that you pointed out in your newsletter, Mary Kay, that you think the Browns can learn from this Chiefs Super Bowl victory. The last thing is just continuing to push the envelope in terms of what you're doing defensively. You've got to keep the pedal to the metal. You've got to add more defensive talent. Uh, and I, I, we've been talking about this, but uh, they've got to be ready to try to, to handle the Patrick Mahomes and the Josh Allens and the Lamar Jacksons. And I think they need more defensive. I think they need a few more defensive playmakers, a few more defensive different makers to get that job done. You can't just look at your 2023 defense and say, hey, we were the number one defense in the NFL and we did this and we did that. And we had the NFL defensive player of the year and we had, you know, and JOK came up the learning curve and no, they can't stop there. They've got to keep pushing forward because they have so many uh, better quarterbacks that they're going to be facing this year. And, you know, that's a really good San Francisco 49ers defense that Patrick beat like that. But look what happened. Their defensive coordinator just got fired after losing to the Chiefs, right? I mean, he just got fired. That's that's how important it is to, to be on point and to be amazing 
to be able to handle these quarterbacks and what they're going to be throwing at you. So I think that's, you know, that was, uh, you know, a number one thing that stood, a huge thing that stood out to me was defensively, the Browns have just got to keep being aggressive in talent acquisition, in, uh, you know, in scheme and, and in everything else. And they also have a new defensive line coach. And I think that's, that's big, you know, that's, that's really huge because that's the most important uh, position on their defensive line. And, you know, they're going to need to do some new things and they're going to need to try some, uh, you know, different formations. There's so many different things that you can do with a defensive front, obviously. And um, so I think that, you know, they've really got to innovate on that side of the ball too. Ashley Andrew Barry said in his season wrap press conference that every year is different. Um, you know, they don't just view week one next week as week 19 of the 2023 season. So organizationally, their philosophy generally is like every year is different. Every year is a fresh start. Every roster is a new roster. Um, so that, you know, it, it's safe to assume they're not going to just kind of rest on their laurels here, but I, I'm with Mary Kay. Like it's really important that you continue to build what you have, especially because this window that you have right now with, with this group of elite talent, it's, you know, it's only so big. Yeah. And it's kind of like what we talked about yesterday. Like obviously this defense was the number one defense in the NFL. Right. And I wouldn't expect there to be too much drop off there, but I do think like there are going to be some different faces. We basically went through almost every position and besides like quarterback, you could make an argument for them being aggressive and going out and getting somebody, whether it's in free agency, whether it's drafting somebody they really like, like there's still room here to change, you know, some things on your interior D line, bring in another edge rusher, maybe change up the linebacker room a little bit, um, add some more depth at safety. Like I do think it's similar to the offense in that it does have to look a little bit different. You have to keep innovating every single year. Um, especially because now think about the fact that they did finish as the number one defense. They're going to have a target on their back this next year. I feel like people are going to want to prove, okay, well, this was the number one defense last year. Let's show them it's not last year anymore. And we talked at length yesterday about these veteran quarterbacks they're going to have to face really good quarterbacks. They're going to have to face just playing that second place schedule is going to really, I think, challenge that in and of itself. So on top of that, it's like, Hey, you have to, kind of figure out ways to keep evolving so that other teams can't just figure you out by watching last season's games. There's one other thing too, that's, that's kind of along these lines that I think is, is worth discussing. Um, and Mary Kay, this is going to be right up your alley. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I will start, I'll start this by pointing out it's a lot easier when you have a starting quarterback whose cap hit it's, this year was less than $900,000. Um, that's just an advantage that the 49ers have right now for a few more years. However, when you look at these two teams, you know, last year, the 49ers went out and added Christian McCaffrey. And they were like the poster, the poster child of running backs don't matter. You can just throw anybody in this scheme and they're going to excel. And then they turn around and they go get Christian McCaffrey, um, who's probably the best all around back in football. Um, And then, you know, this year, you get a guy, you know, I know you were advocating for this. So Chase Young, right? Chase Young in Washington, like <laughs> they didn't want him. He he wasn't living up to his draft stock. He's not a, what was he, a number two pick? Like he's not yeah. that type of player, right? But when you trade for Chase Young and he goes to San Francisco and he doesn't have to be that guy 
all mm-hmm. of a sudden he's a role player yep. and that changes the expectation for him. And so San Francisco was additive this year during the season. Um, the chiefs, you know, not, not a ton, but when McCole Hardman became available, they went and brought McCole Hardman back because they knew that mm-hmm. they were in trouble at the receiver position. So they at mm-hmm. least added to that position and gave themselves a chance. And that's something that I think the Browns should have done. And mm-hmm. they ended up after Deshaun got hurt, they stumbled into Joe Flacco. Yep. They got very fortunate there that Joe Flacco was available and he was able to come in and play at the level he did. But the reality is they probably should have traded for a backup quarterback at some point. Like when Dorian Thompson Robinson had that start against Baltimore, it should have raised red flags everywhere. Mm-hmm. So I think that's another thing here is to whatever level, whether you're talking about a star player like McCaffrey or a role player like a Cole Hardman or finding value in a guy like Chase Young, who you're just bringing in to be an additive piece to a, a group that's already really strong. I think you have to be aggressive in that sense. And Andrew has been aggressive in off seasons, but generally mm-hmm. in season, he's kind of just stuck with the roster he's had. And I think there's value to adding bodies sometimes, especially if you're trying to make a run. Yeah. I mean, I, I advocated right before the trade deadline that they should go after guys like Jacoby Brissett. It would have taken probably a third round pick, but if it's going to make the difference between playoffs or no playoffs, then you know, then you have to do it. And maybe they knew at that point that, that they could get uh, Joe Flacco. I don't think they could have known that he was going to have that much left in the tank, but um, I advocated for that. I called for Chase Young, that they should uh, make that deal for Chase Young. Why not? I mean, he's so young and he was really starting to come around at that point. And when you can get a, a rusher like that, an impact player like that, you know, why not do it? Um, so, yes. And you know what? I'm sure people get tired of me saying they should do this. They should do that uh, because, you know, I'm playing with monopoly money. Right. But I still think that there are ways to make these things happen. I even said that they should have traded for Jonathan Taylor. I know that he would have welcomed a trade here at that time. He was unhappy with the way things were going with his contract situation. And he would have loved to have come here. And I got pushback on that one because obviously because of Nick Chubb and it seemed like maybe I was giving up on Nick Chubb. I wasn't giving up on Nick Chubb, but I just felt like you have to stay ahead of the curve when it comes to getting to the Super Bowl. And yeah, October is no time, uh, you know, to be shy about being super aggressive and adding talent when you can. So I agree with you. I'm glad you brought this one up, Dan, because I'm always, you guys know this, I'm go big or go home, go big or go home. And they pulled a rabbit out of their hat with Joe Flacco. They really did. Um, And I don't know if you can count on that always happening. When you have an opportunity to add an absolute 100% difference maker, you have to seize the moment if you want to try to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, with a guy like Chase Young, in the postseason, he had eight pressures. He had a sack in the Super Bowl. If you're getting that out of one of your extra pass rushers, why, like, why not? I, yeah, there's flaws, whatever. I know there was that clip going around in the, I think it was the NFC Championship game where he kind of was a little lazy on a run play or whatever. But the guy still was able to show up and, and do some things for you. Like, there's ta- there's talent there. There's ability there. 
you're not paying him $125 million. You're bringing him in as a trade piece, and then you can figure out what to do from there. I, I just think, Ashley, sometimes a roll on a dice, a roll of the dice on guys like that um, can can be really helpful. Like it can be that that guy can make a play here or there to, to help you win a game. Now, obviously, San Francisco didn't win the Super Bowl, but they, they got there and they're the favorites next year to get back there and, and win it. So like it being being additive at the trade deadline and being aggressive in season with adding talent, I think is I think it can be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just kind of like the nature of the game anymore, right? Like, you have to be trying to do those things if you want to, you know, keep evolving on both sides of the ball and make those kinds of runs. I mean, I think that's also part of the key of not letting teams get too comfortable with what you're doing and figure out what you're doing so easily. But, I mean, it's like we look at the Browns season this past season, and what did we say over and over again, even defensively? They just couldn't get a second guy going sack-wise. And we all thought, Mary Kay, you said this all the time, that they could have three edge rushers pushing double-digit sacks late into the season. They just never got there. So it just kind of goes to show you, even when something's good, you can't just, like, rest on your laurels and expect it to just, oh, well, we were the number one defense last year. We'll be fine. Sacks don't necessarily matter. We're all about pressures. No. You cannot think like that if you expect to get to and win a Super Bowl. You have to keep pushing the envelope and being aggressive when it's time to acquire players, especially proven veteran players. Right. And I think the other part of it is like they what they actually did was they subtracted from their roster at the trade deadline. Now, again, Donovan Peoples-Jones wasn't having an amazing year, and I, I don't really think he did a whole lot in Detroit either. So I'm not trying to hold up Donovan Peoples-Jones as some elite receiver, but like said, Tillman certainly wasn't ready. So I, I, it just felt like there were areas where you, okay, if you're going to trade DPJ and get a draft asset, that's fine. But is there some other receiver you could maybe bring in? Is there, is there something you could do, you know, to help Amari Cooper out, to help your quarterbacks out? And so I, th- I think that was one thing that the Browns got wrong this season for all the things they did well and all the things Andrew Barry did well. Um, I, I feel like that was one thing they got wrong was to not find some piece somewhere, whether it was D line or wide receiver or whatever else, some piece to come in and contribute. And this off season, this kind of goes with, you know, you can't just look at this defense and say, Hey, guys are going to get better again. You got to add some new, some new blood in there too. I wonder if it would make a, a decent, post to look back at all the uh, crazy ideas I had of things that they should have done. Uh, Cause I can think of about five things that I wrote, um, you know, that they should have done. And most of the time it's just my own opinion. It's not, I mean, you know, even Elijah Moore, I said they should trade for Elijah Moore and I said they should acquire Amari Cooper. Um, and I, I nailed those two, but the other ones, you know, I, I'm, pretty sure they're not going to go out and, and acquire DeAndre Hopkins. But I wrote it anyways because I think they should do it. Or Chase Young, I think they should do it. Or go back out and grab Jacoby Brissett and bring him back in, uh, even for a third-round pick. Uh, you know, I think you can replace a third-round pick somehow. I don't think it's that hard to find a guy that, you know, whoever you would have gotten in the third round, you can go trade for that player somewhere else. You can get that player in free agency. You can figure it out. Um, but it would be, I think it'd be interesting to go back and look at, okay, how would you have made it work from a financial standpoint and a draft capital standpoint, and how might it have worked out if you had done this thing? 
That sounds like a lot of math. Yes, it does. It sounds like a lot of everything, especially for the <laughs> off season. <laughs> but it's yeah. uh, it's it's February fifteenth. Do you guys realize we're going to be at the combine in less than two weeks? We're actually going to be in the the city of India. In fact, we're going to be we're so home close from to the combine. combine <laughs> I might be home two weeks yeah. from now from Indianapolis. Right by the time yeah. at the time we're recording this. No. I can't wrap my brain around that. I just got home from the Super Bowl. Everything is still in the suitcase. I have almost tripped over it here in my living room like 22 times in the last two days. It's too heavy for me to carry it upstairs all at once. So I'm just taking it up piecemeal. And uh, no, I'm not even unpacked from the Super Bowl yet. And I have been thinking about the fact that I've got to get my combine combine face on, right? I mean, it is time for me to like start thinking about the draft. I haven't really put that much time into the draft yet. I know you guys have started to do that a little bit too, but uh, yeah, we it's, it's time. I mean, the, uh, the 2024 season is upon us and we must be ready team. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens over the next week and a, week and a half here. If I'll, uh, if I'll actually be ready by the time the combine, by the time I'm driving to Indianapolis, I'll be like, binging draft podcast or something on that that five hour drive um okay that will do it for this edition of the orange brown talk podcast we're going to be back with the second part the long-awaited second part of our award show uh probably tomorrow i'm going to say probably just in case because sometimes things happen and we have to pivot but most likely that'll be coming on friday uh get subscribed on apple Podcasts and spotify i told you about football insider and that newsletter cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page and of course you can find us on instagram at orange and brown talk and on youtube at cleveland browns on cleveland.com for mary Kay and ashley i'm dan thanks for listening everybody <laughs> <laughs>